The best advice I can give myself as a dad is this. The solutions will be simple, but the process is anything but. The hardest and the best things you can do for yourself as a dad in the future is this. Number one, seek mentorship from those who are great at things you hope to be great at. Find another business owner with a happy family who seems like you want to be one day and call that person and talk regularly with them about your goals. Number two, I want you to throw away your alarm clock. Number three, just stop drinking and see what happens. Number four, decide how to allocate the 168 hours you're gifted every week. Be intentional with every single one of those hours so they're aligned with your purpose. And then you'll have the capacity to give the best of yourself in every area. If you will do these things, I promise you will be transformed in just eight short years. Hi there, my name is Philip Hartman and Being Dad is a show for dads. I meet and speak to unique dads asking them to impart their wisdom and to share their experiences as dads with us. My next dad, Jeff Newfield, lives in Calgary, Canada. He's married and he's got three children who are eight, five and one and a half. Jeff spent his childhood reading business investment publications to his blind dad and practicing piano. And so there's no surprise that he's had a successful career as both a concert pianist performing in Europe and North America and now is the owner of a leading manufacturing company and an industrial wrecking company. When Jeff had children, he started to think more seriously about every aspect of his life. In the session, Jeff talks about the hardest and the best things you can do for yourself as a dad and how to allocate the 168 hours you are gifted with every week. We discuss what it was like for him to become a dad and how he learned to balance a blended life of work and family. He talks about having to challenge parenting gender roles in his own relationship and he shares amazing insights into the importance of seeking mentorship not only in business but in life and parenting. Jeff shares openly about the impact alcohol had on his life and his family life and what changes he made. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were When you're not feeling connected, look at how you're spending your time. I don't have to have all the answers as a dad. And humility makes you a better father. Right. If this podcast helps you, please do share it. And now, without any further ado, here's Jeff. Thank you for listening. Jeff, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Philip, it's such a joy to be with you. Yeah, we talked about we talked the last time. You're sitting in Canada. I'm in Cape Town. Um, we had a good conversation. You were running around with your ch children in, in the, uh, I think, shopping or somewhere. Um, but it was actually quite interesting, and I was very intrigued when I left the call. And so um, your name's Jeff, Jeff Newfield. You're also an entrepreneur. You live in Canada. I know that you have three children. And but George, won't you give us a quick intro about yourself? Maybe you can tell us what's your business. And then um, we dive straight into Jeff the dad. Absolutely. I'm in Calgary, Canada. I have three kids. They're uh, eight, five, and one and a half. A uh, wonderful wife. Uh, I spent my childhood reading business investment publications to my blind dad and practicing the piano. And so not surprisingly, I was pretty interested in business and piano. And so I played the piano professionally for uh, about 20 years, uh, performing in Europe and North America primarily, and, uh, and I loved that. And then I got to my early 30s and decided that I wanted to get into business, uh, but I couldn't get a job. And so uh, I, um, I took the funds that I'd managed to save from my concert fees and uh, put together a deal to buy a manufacturing company called TriMet Building Products. We make metal construction products in Calgary. And uh, then a few years after that, I started an industrial racking company called TriMet Storage Solutions. And we distribute those products uh, around uh, North America. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. What I found is uh, I'm reasonably good at analysis. Uh, I really enjoy people and I thoroughly enjoy learning. And so the opportunity to get into new industries has been thoroughly satisfying to me. And I, I've really enjoyed that. And so, um, you know, when we had the kids, uh, then I started to think a little more seriously about um, 
everything in my life and where I was going and what that all meant and what was I going to do to help these kids have a, have a good life. You know, I had really wonderful parents. My dad was my first and best mentor. He, uh, uh, made things very simple and easy to understand. Uh, my mother was a tremendous influence in my life, teaching me things like self-discipline, self-belief, and my parents have been an absolute tailwind all of my life. And that is very, very fortunate for me. Amazing. So you just said you played the piano professionally for 20 years and in your mid-30s you wanted to start... <laughs> Getting into business. When did you start? I mean, like, you must have been a genius on the piano as a child. Um, well, I, I did fairly well at it. And um, I enjoyed it, uh, which made it easier. And I had some success as a kid. And so that affirmed that um, I was going wow. in the right direction. And, um, you know, because I was reading to my dad, I was always interested in the investment side of business. And so I was doing yeah. that with dad as a child to, uh, you know, try to make sure that I wasn't going to be a, a destitute musician. It's so amazing when parents teach children how money works. Isn't it incredible? Like not just, not just working for pocket money, but actually how money works, investing money, dealing with money, understanding money, energies of money, value of money. That's amazing. And, I want to ask you something. So, so, how old are you three kids? You didn't say that. Oh, I think we missed eight, it. Maybe five and one and a half. Okay, so one and a half. So you're in the thick of it, also. Yep. <laughs> like like me. And um, how was it for you to have a blind dad? How was that? Was he always blind? Uh, he went blind while I was uh, uh, a boy. Um, he was legally blind by the time I was ten, and. Wow. Um, You know, I didn't really think anything of it uh, at the time. That was just how it was. And uh, my dad was a extraordinarily positive, determined person. And I don't think that he ever used the word blind in his life. You know, he would okay. he would run into someone on the street because he refused to use a, a white cane. And he would say, pardon me, I have some visual difficulty. But... Um, that was the extent of it. And, you know, so my, wow. my, I think a large part of my determination to view life positively comes from him because I, I think I've always had in the back of my mind, you know, if my blind dad could have a great life and never complain a thing about the disease that took his sight, um, didn't feel that he needed to retire. He just made everything work for him. And he always found a way to get things done and keep accomplishing the things that he wanted to in life. And that's, so, that's always kept me going. Yeah, it's important to have that perspective, to know, like, you know, all of us really, I mean, you and myself also, we're not really bad off. We don't have problems, actually, yeah. really, you know, like there are people who have much bigger problems so and, and it's important to sometimes remember that it's fine to have problems i'm not saying that because there's always someone who has a problem that's worse so then you could in theory never have a problem but it's sometimes good to remember how good we have it yeah. absolutely so those stories are a good uh, reminder of of that fact yeah and tell me how was it for you becoming a dad do you want to share share a bit on on how that went and how it felt and how the journey was Yeah. Um, you know, when my son was born, it, it was fantastic. I was excited. It was also very confusing. Uh, I remember feeling like I was in the wrong place all of the time. You know, when I was at work, I felt disloyal to the family. I thought about, you know, what were they doing? I should be there. When I was at home, I felt disloyal to my team. I had always, uh, been one of those guys that tried to work the most hours as an example to everybody. And, um, that was no longer possible. And so, you know, it, it, it was a struggle. You know, I, I knew a few things the day that my son was born. Um, I knew that I wanted a blended life where I got to do a little bit of everything every day. 
I knew that I wanted to allow my wife to live the life that she wanted. And she had a lot of professional interests and still does. Um, I wanted to model that kind of a blended life to my son. I didn't want to be that dad that, you know, had business success at the expense of his family. There's so many people like that. And, and it's almost worn like a badge in your culture, you know, like I, I did it all for my, for my family, but I lost them in the end because I succeeded in my business. And I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And so I started by staying home on uh, Wednesdays and we just arbitrarily said that uh, my wife and I, uh, she had some professional interests that she wanted to pursue. And so I said, well, I'll stay home on Wednesdays and we'll just take it from there. And that forced a number of changes in my life. One was I had to get everything in the business out of my head and start really creating a real business that depended on processes and people and, uh, you know, it wasn't dependent on uh, Jeff solving every problem. Um, that also forced me to learn to have the confidence and the skill to take care of a baby for 12 hours at a time. Um, that was a massive skill to develop. Um, it forced me to really and truly accept my wife's desires to learn and grow and work and have intellectual stimulation as equal to my own and really accept that. And I found that difficult at first, frankly. Um, but in the end, it's been very freeing because I feel like I have a truly equal partner and the family is not actually dependent only on me. And so why was this difficult for you to, to see her as an equal, if I can just ask you? Well, I think, um, you know, I don't like admitting that because, um, I think, you know, certainly theoretically, um, I thought that I viewed us as equals, but when it came time to actually dispensing our time in the week, uh, you know, I would go off to work and if there was a, a so-called work emergency, that would take priority over whatever she was doing. And it, it really never went the other way. And, and I realized that I had grown up in an environment where uh, uh, generally uh, the man works and the woman stays home with the family. And I realized I'd been influenced by that. And yeah. And so, you know, we, we had conversations about that to simply address that and figure that out together. And it wasn't easy, um, but, you know, I learned that uh, for our family, it works a lot better when, when my wife is uh, growing at the same speed as I am. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I always say... I do this podcast. You've just opened my my eyes in a, in a, in a, in a different direction. I always say I do that podcast to empower dads and to help changing the narrative around dads, and that when um, society actually perceives dads as a real strategy for a successful home, that there's more option optionality for women because there is right. Yeah, if absolutely. You stay home Wednesdays. You ju you're just a proof of that. But what I never thought about is that this includes dads. Dads also have to allow, um, even if it's in their hearts and in their in their spirit, that mothers are just as equal and 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 should have that optionality. It's not just society. Well, dads as part of society. Well, and it, it, it and it's very telling. I mean, I think of uh, how when we had Charles, there was all this conversation in my wife's workplace about you know, that, that she would now be less engaged in her work because mm -hmm. she had had a child, but no one ever said that to me, you know, not one time yeah. did somebody say, well, I guess Jeff will be phoning it in now because he's got a family. You know, if anything, it's the opposite, you know, man has family yeah. and, uh, turns a hundred percent to work. And, you know, maybe that's a bit of a protective instinct, Maybe that's also because the man is being a bit of a chicken shit and doesn't have the guts to lean into parenting. You know, I don't know. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a strong opinion. But, uh, you know, I know, I know in my case that uh, 
what has worked has been to uh, view ourselves as truly equal and tackle it together. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you there. So uh, you, you managed to view her as, as equal, and then what came next? Well, um, you know, what happened was, as the family and the business grew, it really started to feel like the walls were closing in on me. I, uh, I felt like I had no time to myself. Um, I stopped participating in uh, some of the sports that I was participating in to uh, give myself some free time. Uh, the re responsibility felt relentless. You know, I missed that feeling on a Saturday morning of having nothing to do. You know, that felt like it had evaporated and I felt, you know, there was less connection with my wife. I was tired, I was discouraged. I had a lot of feelings of shame and guilt and inadequacy and then my dad died. And uh, there was this feeling of, you know, now what or what next? And, you know, what I did was, uh, you know, throughout my life, I've had a lot of coaches for my professional endeavors. You know, when you are a young concert pianist, you study with older concert pianists and they teach you how to do everything. They teach you how to practice. They teach you how to sleep. They teach you how to prepare. They talk about what to eat. Um, and when I got into business, I thought I'm going to want that kind of coaching. And so I developed a habit of calling top CEOs on the telephone and saying, uh, would you have breakfast or lunch with me and talk to me about how you manage your time? And, uh, you know, give me some insight into what a top CEO or a top leader really does with their time. And I realized that I had only done that in my professional endeavors. I'd never done that in anything else. I, I was a bit of a, I was a bit determined to figure everything out on my own. You know, I probably read too many cowboy books as a child. And I, I always <laughs> viewed myself as like one man against the world. And fortunately, my wife is much better at getting other people's help when it's necessary. And somehow in the conversations with her and being part of EO, I came across Warren Rustand. And Warren was one of the first business leaders I had met that I thought really had figured out every aspect of life. Like he was a top CEO in the world, uh, top human being in good shape, looked healthy, uh, wonderful family, wonderful relationships, all kinds of involvement to help the community. And I thought that's who I want to be. And so my idea was I would call him up, we would have lunch and this would solve all of my problems. And Boy, was I wrong that it was going to be that simple. <laughs> <laughs> so you did have lunch after all, well, but it didn't it, fix your problems. I, I couldn't get a lunch with him. Um, What happened? You know, he well, he uh, oh. he made me take this very seriously. Um, yeah, is what he did, and uh, so he said, you know, he said, fine, if you want to talk to me and you want to learn from me, um, you know, here's the process. You're not the first clown to call me up and say, solve all my problems in a few sentences. And, uh, I'm happy to help, but you got to put something into this. And so I went through a bit of a process to get his attention. And, uh, then we started by agreeing that, um, I didn't have to do anything that he said, but once I agreed to do something, I had to commit to it. And, you know, it was sort of like, I think, reasonably clear that once we'd agreed to things between us that I had to do, then any time that I did not do that thing, that would be the end of our relationship is I believe yeah. how we put it. And so I thought about that and I thought, I think I need that. You know, that's how it was when I was working with, um, top pianists to try to master that profession. And so that felt familiar and good to have a mentor like that in my life. And so You know, Warren said to me um, two things. 
on the first day. You know, I mean, he could have listed a hundred things, but I think he knew that it would have been overwhelming to, uh, and demoralizing to list every problem that I had on day one. But he listed two central problems and, and he didn't put it this way, but I do in hindsight. Um, he made clear to me that I had a time management problem and that I had a drinking problem. And he never said any of those words, but looking back on it, that's where we started. And both of those things were really hard for me to admit and start to address. You know, I, I've, I've always taken tremendous pride in my time management skills. Um, you don't get to be a concert pianist unless you're great at managing your time effectively. And I had to face the fact that my time management skills were completely inappropriate for being uh, a top leader that I wanted to be and, and a top dad. And then I was also very mentally committed to the idea that I was definitely a social drinker. I'd always enjoyed alcohol. I viewed it as uh, an area of my life where I allowed myself to have some freedom in an otherwise very orderly and disciplined life. And it was very difficult for me to um, start to consider that it might actually be something that was holding me back. And so the first big shift that I made as a dad with Warren's help was really figuring out how much sleep I need in a given day. And that's really easy to figure out and it's tremendously hard to do. The way that you do it is you go around your house, you collect all of your alarm clocks and you throw them away and you commit to sleeping as much as you need. And you know, this was at a time when I had uh, a wife who had professional commitments. I had a very intense business that involved me most of the time. I had young kids. Um, so it was not, it took a lot of conversation between my wife and I and um, reorganizing my schedule so that I could really commit to allowing myself to sleep until I woke up. And frankly, Philip, the first, I would say six or eight months, I slept 10 to 12 hours a night and it was extremely disruptive to the family. But what happened was I, I got happier and I got calmer and I became, I think, a nicer version of myself. And I realized that I had been depriving myself of the rest that I needed to function at my very best every day. And so once the family saw that, they were all over it. And so then over time, I learned how much sleep I actually need. Um, you know, these days it's about seven and a half hours. And I simply go to bed about eight hours before I wish to wake up. And so it's, you know, it's fairly straightforward. But it was quite a process getting there. And, you know, it, it, if you choose to do that kind of thing, you should not take that lightly. It, it is a challenge. But, you know... The benefit of all of this is I wake up feeling like I've got the world by the tail every single morning of my life. You know, I feel like I'm 15 years old and anything is possible. And that is an incredible tailwind on my life every single day. And, you know, another amazing aspect of that is I have always found it so striking that of all the things that Warren could have said to me first, you know, this experienced CEO, wonderful father, community member, ex-staffer at the White House, of all the things that he could have said to get better to me, for me to improve my life, was get your rest. You know, isn't that incredible? I went to the same, like learning how to sleep, having to learn how to sleep and how much not the same, but I, yeah. I understand this experience. I have, like I had burnout, I don't know, last beginning of last year. Business was very hard. Uh, cash flow issues. We had, as you know, twins and triplets at the same time, pretty much. You know, I, I mean, we did have a night nurse, so I never had to give up sleeping, but I wasn't sleeping much or good. And so, 
yeah, I, I, I think it was like December until end January or something. I slept like 10, 12 hours every day. And then I had a coffee in the morning and I'd, like that coffee, funny enough, would knock me out again straight away. Mm-hmm. And I'd lie on the couch and I was like finished. And it took me like two months to get back. And um, I had like constant adrenaline rushes in the body, like on the on my right side in the in my belly, hmm. and it wouldn't stop. Like I put a heating thing on and and like lie in bed for two days. Like yeah. it, it didn't stop. And then I need eight hours sleep now. I know that, so I can't. Uh, there's a very good book on this topic. Since we're on this topic, it's called Why We Sleep. Have you read it? No. Thank you for the idea. And it it's very good. And it's I mean, I read that um, later, but I, mean, I knew, I mean, I found the sleeping anyways, but I read that book and I was like, wow, you know, like sleeping is so amazing. It fixes everything in your body. It it fixes your mind, it fixes your body. Um, um, if you don't sleep, you, you have a much higher chance of, of Alzheimer. It's connected to suicide if you don't sleep, etc. Like it's, it's, it's amazing. I don't know why. Like, and, and schools... Talking of dads, you know, schools start way too early for children. Yeah. Because, for instance, for teenagers, their cycle is different. So to wake them up at, I don't know, six o'clock so they can be at school at eight or seven thirty, whatever, they, it's crazy. You know, you, you you shouldn't do that. And and so sleep is a very big topic, and and I think it's it's an important one. And and obviously, many young parents will not sleep enough. And so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's it's changed everything in the family. You know, my wife lives that way now, and our children do, and um, it's it it provides us with such a fundamental level of happiness in a given day because we're simply well rested every day. Yeah, yeah, I know it. The the the, the issue I have is I really have an issue of going to sleep at nine o'clock or ten o'clock. Like I would love to wake up at five or six. Or five thirty. I mean, six is is a reasonable time, I guess. But five o'clock would be awesome. But I just can't change my habit of going to bed <laughs> so early. Well, I can, but <laughs> I never do. Yeah. Somehow, you know. So I started at some stage to actually set an alarm clock for going to sleep. Right. But then, of course, you do something because the whole day was like work and kids and stuff, and then you start your day in the evening, right? And and then, yeah, it it's. <laughs> I don't know. Once you start watching Netflix, that's done. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, how did you change your time scheduling? Because I'm so big on scheduling. Like, what is your, what are the time management skills that you can share? And this is also important for parents and business people. What, 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 what did you do there? What did you learn? Well, what I've learned is to divide everything up um, hour by hour between things that I would call personal things that I would refer to as family, um, things that I would refer to as business, and then community. And so I know in a given week that I need about 56 hours of sleep. And so that leaves roughly 112 hours uh, to dispense between those four areas, if you will. And so I know that I need or I want about 18 hours a week for personal activities. Uh, I know that I need about 45 for business. That leaves about 41 for family and about eight for community endeavors. And so I actually plan out what I call a core schedule in my iCal uh, where I illustrate for myself how I intend to spend my time every week. And, um, you know, I have detail in there about when to have recovery time so that I take in calories and water and take a walk every so often so that I have little recovery periods throughout the day. Um, I think the best thing in all of that that I've done for the family is I've planned out the number of one-on-one hours that I want to have with my wife and with my children. And I've done a series of experiments over the last couple of years to try to figure out how many hours a week I need to spend with each person one-on-one in order to feel emotionally like we are connected and enjoying our lives together. And and what I've learned is that when I can have about eight hours a week one-on-one with my wife, 
and about five hours a week, one-on-one with each child, life feels a lot easier and a lot better. And we feel connected. And so every Friday, I look at the data. So I track my time in an app on my phone. And then every Friday, I look at where I actually spent my time in those different categories that I've just described. And I just see how it lines up with my intention. And it is amazing, Philip, how sometimes I'll get to Friday and I'll be thinking to myself that I feel a little disconnected with my wife. And then I look at the data and I'll see that actually we spent, you know, three or four hours together one-on-one. And so I say to myself, you know, like, this isn't rocket science. I'm not, I'm not falling out of love with my wife. I haven't spent any time with her. You know, as soon as I spend time with her, then I feel connected. I feel in love. Things are fantastic. I mean, my wife is a fantastic woman. You know, anyone spending eight hours a week with her would fall in love with her. And when I don't feel as connected to her, uh, I know that it's a matter of time and I have the data to help me figure that out instead of relying on my emotions, which might, you know, they're far more dependent on external circumstance than, than any data is. And so I do things one-on-one with my kids, like, you know, very simple, go ride bikes, uh, swing with my daughter, get down on the ground and play cars, anything to, to get down to their level and look them in the eye and give them attention. And when I do that, we are a wonderful, happy family. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you, I do the same. I track, I track the um, same four buckets. But I, okay. I just realized I failed to look at the data. I, look, I don't look at the data enough. Like you just said, you, every Friday you look at it. I don't look at it enough. And I don't correlate um, outcome with, with having spent time. So I will do that going forward. Thank you. And and do you block out, um, say, do you, so you just said five hours per child, that's 15 and eight for your wife. That's already 23 hours. That's a lot of hours, yeah. which is good. And do you block out, say, Wednesday morning? Are you still staying home at Wednesdays? Or? Uh, no, that's changed. Um, that's okay. changed many times. And, and these days it's, it's somewhat of a, a blended uh, work and family day. Like I'm right now, I'm working at my house the vast majority of the time. And uh, my wife and I divide the hours of the day so that uh, we can each get in, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day. Um, and then the rest of the, the rest of the hours we're dividing up our childcare. We can't have anybody, uh, helping us right now because of the pandemic. And, uh, that's been amazing for us to be forced to, uh, yeah, that is actually with them all the time. Do, do, do you block out like, do, so you say, okay, the target is five, five hours with my son. Do you then say Tuesday morning, there are two hours and then Saturday I have three and that makes up five. Or how, yeah. Or I do, do you play it by ear or do I, you pre-plan that? I do. And then I'll coordinate with my wife to uh, uh, make sure that the other two are cared for. Um, and, you know, it's, but it's like, it, 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 it's so simple. I mean, I'm making it sound like we're, we're going and climbing mountains one-on-one and how on earth do you allocate the time? I mean, it's, it's more like, um, hey, I'm going to take Robert over to the field and play soccer with him. And then we play soccer yeah, and yeah, we yeah. giggle about life for half an hour or an hour. And then we join the rest of the family. Yeah. No, I get that. I'm just asking because it's one of my biggest challenges to get this one-on-one time in. Because I have these group kids, you know, they're all the same age. I mean, the triplets are the same age. The twins are also the same age. And then they're so close to each other that that. Like literally, they don't have own interest yet, so to speak. So it's not like the ones at judo and the other ones at ballet, and then I can take the third one and we do something. But they're all together always. So if I want to take one and remove them from the group, it's a big drama. Everybody wants to come, and so I plan these slots in, and we've started to implement something where we uh, that we call boys' week and girls' week. Mm. So I have boys' week the one week, and my wife has girls' week in that week. And so when I have boys week, obviously I do solo dates. We call it solo dates with each one of the boys. Um, and we haven't allocated a set time for it. So it can be an hour, but it can also be 
uh, three or I don't know four whatever like the last time um, anyway so that's that's the one solo and um, another thing that I've started is my business partner Stephen and I we're doing a 13 peak challenge here in in Cape Town it's not crazy mountains it's 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 a, it's a good hike and we're taking one child um, he's also the godfather of the children so we're taking one child per peak challenge okay and so that's an extended solo date where I spend the time with with that one child last time was Henry and Stephen and we walk we walk on the mountain or I carry them <laughs> <laughs> because they're too small but so and that was amazing but then it takes like eight hours you know and then afterwards I went we went and we ate ice cream and it was like a very special day but that'll then happen only once a month for one child and I'm I'm asking so detailed because I'm very aware of the fact that like if you think about it it seems like once a month for one child is really nothing but it's a it's a lot of time that I need to find somewhere to spend this one on one time with five now and the wife and the business and I would also like to sometimes surf um and you know run a podcast and and do projects and so it's it is so important to think about time in that way like you do yeah. also you know I found yeah. uh it's really helped to include the kids in the conversation about it and to be very direct with them to say, mm -hmm. you know, the, the purpose of this next period of time is I'm going to have some time one-on-one -on -one with my oldest son. And I'll say to the other two, you know, uh, what can you guys do for the next hour while I have some special time with your oldest brother? And they're pretty good about it because they know that their special time is coming. And, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I found that's helped to solve some of the, some of the jealousy issues or feelings that came up initially. Yeah. I'm trying to solve that. We, we, we're trying to solve that by explaining to them, obviously it's boys week, it's girls week, your turn is, is after him, your turn is next and so on and so on. But like, I mean, literally like some Saturdays I will have three solo dates, one after the other, and then my day is gone. <laughs> <laughs> like all the three girls right i start with one in the morning and the day is gone and yeah and okay yeah interesting sorry but i interrupted you there what else did you want to share well you know the 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 second big shift that we got to talk about if i'm going to be candid with you is um it it, it was a, a major shift in my life as a dad when i reconsidered my decisions around drinking um, you know, I, I had always enjoyed social drinking, um, and, and I think, you know, like when you start to talk about drinking, um, it's often viewed as a very extreme one or t'other in our culture, I think. And... You know, when I say that I discovered that I had a drinking problem, um, I think it's very interesting to share with you that, um, for example, I by and large lived within the guidelines of our health system here in Canada. You know, like I, I was worried enough about am I drinking too much that I looked up what the guidelines were um, and I pretty well fit within them. I talked to my doctor about it. And she said to me, you know, sounds like you don't really have a problem. Maybe I underdescribed it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I talked with uh, business friends and, you know, people that I knew well enough to kind of quiz them and say, like, how much do you really drink? And am I drinking more or less than that? And how does that compare? And how do you feel about it? How do I feel about it? And I felt like I was a very average drinker and you know like I, I was not I was not stumbling around drunk in the middle of the day I was not abusing anybody I was not hiding booze anywhere it was just kind of routine events of you know you go to some dinner and there's a couple of beers that you have while you chat with people and then you have a couple of glasses of wine while you have your dinner and then all of a sudden it just seemed like this was going on every day. And I started to wonder what the impact was on my life. And so I did things like, um, I did an entire year where I said, 
I'm only going to drink on Fridays. And by the way, I, I got absolutely hammered every Friday. Um, I did an entire year where I said, I'm only going to have one drink a day. And it was a very large glass of wine, but I committed to that and I did it. And my conclusion at the end of that time was I could do those things. And so I don't have a drinking problem. But I had never actually done a control experiment with zero alcohol. And when I think about that as a scientist, I mean, that's a joke of a series of experiments. You know, it'd be like if my concern was, do I have too much gluten in my diet? And so my control experiment was, I'll limit myself to only having gluten on Fridays, or I'll limit myself to having a small amount of gluten every day. And then I'll decide whether gluten is impacting my life. Well, that's not going to work. You got to eliminate gluten if you really want to find out if that's having an impact on your life. And so I said to myself, I'm going to have a control period with zero alcohol. And what I found was that um, at that point, it was actually a little difficult to do. And so I've ended up having to face the fact that I've lost my drinking privileges if I want to function at a high level as a human being. And so I have decided to uh, face life sober. Um, and I don't know where to begin to tell you the number of benefits that have come into my life since I've made that decision. It's just, it, it, it's been incredible. And I realize now that I had this drag, this minor drag, and sometimes major drag, on every single day of my life. And I was slowly getting a little bit angrier, a little bit shorter with people, a little less gracious, a little more selfish, a little more alone. And it was just all kind of building up. And I realized that if I really wanted to find my outer limits as a human and as a leader and as a dad, I had to do an experiment without it and find out. And, you know, when I started to face life sober and I saw life more clearly, it helped me open my heart to the idea that I was not actually in charge of everything. And there might be a higher power. And those are hard things to talk about. You know, I, I don't know if there's a higher power. What I do know is I'm not it. And there is a humility that comes from that attitude that I could not have found if I was drinking. But now that I have that humility, it makes me such a better father to my children. You know, I don't feel like I have to have all of the answers and be everything to my children. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like what's changed is I view my role with my children now to teach them respect for themselves and respect for others, and then imbue in them a sense of joy and awe and marvel and astonishment about the world. And that's it. And if I can do that, I think they'll have pretty good lives. And I think that I would not have figured that out if I had continued to be a social drinker. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but... Um, yes, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's just... Thank you for sharing. It's absolutely changed my life. And how long have you have you not had alcohol now? Um, I, uh, I, I tried um, a new program of self-control about a year, about 14 months ago, I started in saying, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm going to take an alcohatical is what I called it. And what I found was that, uh, you know, I still kind of had one or two blowouts a month where... I would intend to have one or two drinks 
and um, it would just kind of go off the rails and I couldn't explain that. And uh, so then at that point, after about six months of trying that, um, I decided that uh, I was going to join a community group to uh, help myself stay sober. And uh, I've been doing that now for uh, seven or eight months. And um, life's been a lot better since. That's amazing. I mean, I, I've done uh, three months without drinking because I had to get uh, fit very quickly. I went to G-Land for surfing. Okay. And I wanted to, like, it's a serious wave. And, and if you get, like, good swell, you do want to be fit, you know, because <laughs> a bunch of Australians and they can all surf better than you. <laughs> and you do want to be able to catch some waves. So I did that. And the results were, like you said, were amazing. Like, I felt, felt clearer I felt stronger. I felt fitter. I could. I was able to get fitter quicker. Isn't it incredible? Um, it's it's insane. But the problem I find, and I do drink uh, alcohol. I drink, I like red wine, and I have the same problem that you described. Now I can't drink one glass of wine. You know, if I open a bottle of red wine, and I don't do it every night, but if I if I open a bottle of red wine, I will finish the bottle of red wine. My wife will might sometimes have one glass or not. Um, but usually there's not much left afterwards or I finish it. I don't open a second one, but I don't have that stop valve. So I do have that concern as well. And so I try to not drink uh, in the week. I try to drink maximum two out of seven days. And I actually track that in an app. So I actually track when I don't drink um, so that I can see, I can see in, on a graph Uh, if I've if I've over over or if I drank more than two days in a week, but yeah, I haven't taken the step of saying I actually want to be completely sober forever and always. But I can totally understand when you say, you know, there's a drag and there's like also you know what it actually costs a lot of time because well, like it you does. I'm like more a, tired in the morning. A, a simple example yeah. is um, you know I look at my sleep data and. Uh, when I was, when I was uh, drinking, uh, I needed eight and a half hours of sleep on average. Uh -huh. And that's yeah. come down to seven and a half. So that's an entire hour that I've gained, you know, for the use of um, other things. I don't need it for sleep yeah. anymore. Yeah, it's also covered in, in why we sleep in the book. Oh, interesting. Alcohol. Yeah, I'll, And it I'll, actually I'll prevents up. you from going... Um, it actually prevents you from going into the right um, sleep phases. I don't know which one, REM or deep REM or whatever. I, I couldn't cite it, but it, it, it prevents you from going into the right recovery phases. So that's why you, you wake up and you're more tired, actually. Well, yeah. I notice it physically and energy-wise. I mean, I, I used to come home just absolutely spent at the end of the day and out of gas and You know, and then you, I got into the whole cycle of, uh, you know, a bunch of caffeine in the morning to get going and then a bunch of red wine at night to slow down. And that's all very normal. Everybody does it. But for me, um, it was it was slowing me down and I notice it physically. I mean, I have I haven't changed a thing except for that. Uh, and I'm down about 30 pounds like it might even be 40 by now. And I was not a particularly, you know, like you wouldn't have looked at me and thought that guy's 40 pounds overweight. Um, but it just evaporated when I stopped drinking. And how has it affected your, affected your relationship with your wife and your children? It's incredible. You know, we have such, I feel like I have the energy to give the best of myself to them all of the time. It's like I have this magic power to always draw a little deeper to give to them. You know, the quality of conversations that my wife and I have had in the last year, it, it feels, one day she said to me, it feels like we're dating again. And the simple answer is wow. I was just a little bit disengaged because I'd have, it, I'd have a couple of drinks. And again, you know, like not, not an obscene amount, like a very average amount, but it impacted the relationship. And I find um, my kids tell me I'm so much more patient now. 
And, uh, you know, I've talked to them a little bit about this. They're, they're little, so I, I don't want to burden them with my problems. Um, but I mean, they, they've noticed I'm, I'm more patient. Um, I don't yell. I mean, I used to have basically two emotions, either anger or none. And since I have eliminated alcohol in my life, I have discovered this entire spectrum of much more subtle emotions that I can access and share with people. Wow. That's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, Jeff, what else is there that you wouldn't? Well, I, you know, I wish I could use it normally, but I just can't. And, uh, you know, other people have other issues. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on that and I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but that's worked for me. We're not telling anybody what to do. We're just sharing experience. So if it doesn't work for you, fine. If it works for you, fine. You know, if you, if you want to lend an idea, uh, great. And if it's not for you, no problem. Maybe have a good conversation around it. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. I do find it valuable. And, uh, and especially, you know, like you said, I mean, you said a little bit, but it is really so ingrained in culture. Like I grew up in Munich in Germany And there's a big, big drinking culture. I mean, so there is in South Africa. I mean, mm. Canada will be the same, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we have, it's like social to go to a beer garden. The thing is called beer garden. You go there and you get these liters of beer. And right. It tastes amazing, but, you know, it's a liter of beer. And like, yeah, sure, get a second one. It's, that's actually four half a liter beers. That's like a lot of beer. And and it's just like it's just social interaction. You go for dinner in the evening and you, and you drink. Yeah. And and luckily that stopped a lot since I've since I have the children. So because I I don't you know I don't go and socialize. I want to spend time with the kids and then they go to sleep at at seven. And then I'm hoping to well either I'm doing a podcast like now, or I'm going to spend time with my wife. Yeah. And so that's that's that. But if you if you are active and social. You will drink, absolutely. In, in in and it's it's very normal. It's it's un it's non normal not to drink. Well, thank you, Jeff. That was really good for me, and and I really liked the session. and And I wish you all the best on your journey. Well, thank you. You the same. I I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, thank you very much for the work that you're doing with the podcast. I think it's outstanding to have resources out there to uh, uh, you know help dads get better. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked the session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.